hello, my name is Phil. I even brought myself a name tag today because I found them. So uh, we've been going through this series and uh, I am here today. Dave asked me if I would be willing to speak. Uh, was, he was uh, out right now with Amy, so it's a good time for him and Amy to get some vacation, some time away. Uh, he was down in Ohio earlier this week for the funeral of his nephew that he mentioned last week. Uh, and so, but now they have a little vacation time, time away for Dave and Amy. And so he asked if I would be willing to step in. And so uh, I'm sure most of us have worn a name tag like this. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I hate these things. Um, and so we're going through this because uh, two reasons why I don't like this. I'm either wearing it for one of two reasons. I'm either in a room full of people that I don't know uh, and as an introvert, that terrifies me. And so, like, this is just my uncomfortable spot to be in a group of people where I don't know anyone. Or I'm in a, with a group of people who should have taken the time to learn my name by now. Uh, and I just, I stop and I wonder, like, what is going on? And so uh, I wear this, but there's times uh, where most of the time now, I don't fill it out myself. I usually ask other people, hey, can you fill that out for me? Which is a difficult thing. It's a dangerous uh, opportunity for other people to really mess up your name. Over the last couple of years, uh, my staff badges at work uh, have come in a little bit odd. Uh, about three years ago, uh, my name was Bill Woodman. Um, and then the year after that, I became Philly Woodman. Uh, and so I didn't know what happened. And so it's dangerous when you give that responsibility over to other people, you never know what's going to happen. And so we're looking at these names of Jesus, and Isaiah is, in essence, filling out his name tag. He's got this prophecy, and this is what we're looking at. We've, he's got a prophecy where he is saying, this is the child. For a child is born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah gave much better names than the company that... Uh, filled out our name badges because they couldn't tell Phil from Bill. But um, this is his call. And he says this, these are the names. This is what this Messiah, this king will be called. This child will get and receive these names and they are wonderful, wonderful names. And Dave asked if I would come and cover on the topic of eternal father. As we look at these titles, these names, of the Messiah, of Christ, who was born eternal father. And I, when I thought of that, uh, I couldn't help but picture my dad. I don't know the relationship that you have with your father, if you have a good relationship, if you don't have a great relationship. Uh, when I was a kid, I looked up to my dad. I, well, I still do. Um, uh, I looked up to my dad. To me, my dad was one of the strongest people known to man. Like, he was the strongest person in the world to me. He even had this, like, grunt, this, like, growl, like a roar almost that, like, proved how strong he was as he did stuff. It was like, and I was like, whoa, my dad is so strong. Uh, like, he was Thor before I knew Thor existed. Uh, but the issue was, was, like, it just hit me a couple of years ago. Uh, oh, my goodness, I might be stronger than my dad now. Like, my dad had this eternal picture in my mind. There's an aspect of our parents that get locked into our heads. And so for me, like, my dad always is and was the strongest person that I knew. And that just gets locked into our heads. Like it, it comes with us, it sticks with us. And I don't know how you picture things. Um, but that's what I thought of. 
my dad now would, well, I don't, shouldn't touch that because he wouldn't be considered young anymore. Like he's getting older, right? Like there's an aspect where every person ages, uh, their bodies begin to fail at some point, their minds begin to fail, and the end result for every person is that we will someday die. And that's tough to grasp. You know, having a friend who lost their father this week is a tough thing to wrap their mind around and a tough thing to understand. I had another friend this week who found out that their parent had uh, a stage four melanoma and they're just like, they're not gonna be able to take care of this and now I have to figure out how to tell my kids that their grandfather's gonna die. And how do we deal with that? Because our picture of our father in our head just locks in place. But Jesus came to be an eternal, consistent, unchanging, never diminishing father. And today we wanna look at that. We wanna look at the life of Christ and see how he took on the role of a good, loving, kind father. Because I see this all through the life of Christ, that he became this father figure, though he had no kids of his own. And so that's what we're gonna look at today. So let's pray before we talk about this more. God, you are good. And I thank you that you are a good father the loving, eternal king who came to save and to rescue. The father takes on so many roles, so many more roles than we will talk about today. But our parents are important, and I thank you that you came as a child to be a father to many. That you offered your life as a sacrifice, and I pray that you would open our minds, open our eyes, open our hearts to what you want to teach us today. God, speak through me. Give me clarity of thought. Uh, May this be a good morning to just see see Jesus in a new light. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I I never pointed out, this verse uh, amazes me. Um, In this one verse, we actually see all the persons of the Trinity uh, come into the titles of Christ. And that's a, a fascinating thing to me, that in these titles that Isaiah gives to the coming Messiah, that he would be a counselor, the mighty God, father, and the prince, the son of the father, that he would have all those roles. And so in this role of Jesus as father, um, the first key role that I see Jesus take on was one of discipleship, that Jesus disciples his kid. A good, as a father, Jesus disciples. You might stop and say that this was, like, this was the mission that Jesus was sent for. This doesn't count as a fatherly role. That this is who he was. This is what he came for. This was the mission that he gave us to be sent ones, to go and to make disciples. Like he passed that mission on to us. But coming from a Jewish culture, this was a very normal thing. Like every person would have recognized that the role of the parent was to disciple their kids. Going back, this is a passage I look at every year with parents as we go in um, into a school year, but Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 is the Shema passage where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And it continues on. You talk about it as you stand, as you rise, as you go. Like this is your life, but it's your responsibility to impress this, to teach this to your kids. In uh, Proverbs 22, it says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Uh, 
Because I have a microphone today, I'll get out my imaginary soapbox and just uh, my heart as a student ministries pastor. Um, I want to let you know that the role and the responsibility, the goal of children and student ministries is not to disciple your kids. The goal and the role that we take in children's and student ministries is to assist parents in discipling their kids. We can't possibly, in one to three hours a week, teach and develop and um, uh, be an example for your kids. Like, we're not that good. Like, for as good as our children's student ministries are, we can't do tons and tons and tons in one to three hours a week. We're here to assist you. The greatest compliment I ever received from a parent um, was when they told me that their kid went home and said, Phil sounds just like you. And like, that is like a badge of honor that like, we're here to support parents. Like, we want to reflect what you're doing because we recognize that as parents, you have a great role to disciple your kids and we want to come alongside you as the church to assist you in doing that because we want to make disciples. But Jesus took this role seriously. He recognized that this was a responsibility of his to all that he would call his children, to all that he would see as his followers. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, this is a passage that's great because I love how Jesus actually approaches so many different topics, but he gives all these things in these short, bite-sized pieces that were simple and clear to understand. Like there weren't questions coming out of this like, what does it mean to love my neighbor? Or how should I pray? Like there's three to five verses on 15 different topics through the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus gives all these things in these small bite-sized chunks, recognizing that his audience is where they're at and this is what they can handle. And so Jesus is talking to these disciples, talking to these children and say, this is what you need to know. But he also took time with his disciples where they would stop and they would ask, Jesus, can you explain this further? You told this parable and what did it mean? And Jesus was willing to go deeper and to go farther with those who were ready for it. He recognized his role as a teacher, as a discipler, to stop and to teach his children wherever they were at. Whether they're just ready for small bite-sized chunks or they're ready for deep theological teaching. Jesus was ready to have that discussion, depending on what their child is ready for. Um, Not only did Jesus teach with words, but he demonstrates how to love God through his actions. He showed the importance, um, he showed the importance of community with God and communing with God, spending time with him quiet. Like I don't know how many times the disciples woke up in the morning and they're like, where's Jesus? That's right, he's praying again. Like, we'll wonder how much time we got for that. Like, we got another hour or something? Like, should we get breakfast ready now, or what do we do? Uh, The Bible repeats over and over how many times that Jesus got up early in the morning to spend time away. He brought his disciples with him to pray in the garden before he was gonna be arrested. Like, this was something that he wanted his children to see, that you need time with the Father, and he demonstrated what that looked like. Jesus demonstrated what it looked like to love and to serve people. His disciples traveled with him, and as he met with people, as he went along the way, he, they saw what he did. He involved them in his miracles. I love the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus is like, okay guys, go and get lunch. What? Like, what do we do? And so they go, and they're like, uh, we've, we found a loaf? Okay, great. Uh, what else do we have? 
This is it. Like I, like, I can't imagine what the disciples were thinking as this thing started. But Jesus started to break the bread and pass out the fish. And they each took baskets. And they're like, how many loaves did we collect? Like, what's going on here? And they distribute. And Jesus used them and involved them and said, I want you to serve and love people. Like, we're doing this together. And he demonstrated what it looked like for them to love and care for people the way that God loved and cared for people. We don't just teach with words, we teach with our actions. Another aspect um, th- that Jesus took on, a role of a good, loving father, also means that Jesus disciplined. And there were times that Jesus was uh, kind and gentle. Um, we can look at any one of the times that the disciples argued about who was the greatest, which is funny to me because this takes place at least four times in the New Testament, um, including like the Last Supper, Like you've been with Jesus for three years and they're at the Last Supper and Jesus is saying, by the way, I'm going to be arrested and killed tonight. And they're like, great, who's your favorite? (laughs) Like this is this like, uh, and so in Mark chapter nine, there is the story, um, the events here in Mark chapter nine, where they said they came to Capernaum when he was at the house, he asked them, what were you guys arguing about on the way? But they were silent because on the way they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. He took a child and had him stand among them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. Um, <laughs> I love this picture um, because they're like, So what were you guys arguing about? Uh, n- nothing? They're like, Okay, boys, let's sit down. Like, this is, this is that father. Uh, we forget that some of the disciples were most likely teenagers. Uh, it's really easy. Like, we have these guys who were fishermen with their fathers. They were in training. And so likely some of the disciples were still teenagers as they're following Jesus along. And so this is a sit-down moment with the boys. And like, boys, we need to talk. You go on to the very next chapter in Mark chapter 10, and it takes place. um, People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I truly tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. Like, You've got one chapter where he's like, okay, boys, sit down, we need to talk. And the next chapter, didn't we just talk about this? Like, stop it. This gets all the way up to the point where he tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. Like, he will discipline his children as needed because they need correction and they need guidance and they need protection. That was part of his discipling them was being willing to discipline them to be better people, to be better followers of the Father. So Jesus recognized this role. Jesus disciples, he disciplines, and like a good loving father, Jesus also empowers. At every stage of life, children are given more and more responsibility and can work to earn more and more privileges in their life. You teach and train, and at some point, you take off the training wheels and you let them go on their own. Like, kids need this development, and they're always ready for a little bit more. And Jesus recognized that his disciples needed to be empowered. This is one of my, well, I can say that about so many different passages in the Bible. Um, 
If I look at this and I say, if my parents were to give me every answer for my homework, I'd never learn how to do it myself and I still might be in high school. Like if my dad completed my math homework, like I would be really bad even though I don't have to use math anymore. I was good at math for a while and <laughs> that's been long gone. So, uh, but like if you do everything for your kids, how are they learning for themselves? And so there's this point where Jesus empowered, that Jesus trained, that Jesus pushed them and helped them pursue farther. Uh, and in Luke chapter 9, we see this commissioning of his 12 disciples. This is shortly after he had called his disciples. This is early in his ministry in Luke. And so he had recently called his disciples. Um, and in Luke chapter 9, we see summoning the 12, he gave them power and authority over all demons and, and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for the road, he told them, no staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and, and leave from there. If you do not welcome you, uh, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet and testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. And Jesus is like, you've watched me for a little bit. Now go, it's your turn. I'm not coming with you. You've got the tools that I've given you. I want you to go and do the things that I've taught you to do. This is a great picture because a father empowers. And it's really cool when they come back, they're all super exciting. And so uh, in this, Jesus does that. And I see three things kind of coming out of this passage that uh, Jesus, um, to further encourage and empower them, Jesus does three things in this. Uh, He listens. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all that they had done. He took along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. And so you have this verse where they return and like, Jesus, you wouldn't believe what happened. This was the coolest thing. We were talking to this guy and like, I couldn't believe it. Like I'm, part of me is picturing like 12 middle schoolers in a room together and about nine people talking, which means that nearly half of them are talking to no one at all. Uh, but Jesus is talking, like they're listening and Jesus just listens. And I'm sure during this conversation that there's times that Jesus is like, you did what? You said, I, okay, I wouldn't have done it that way. But uh, like maybe, and Jesus just listened. In their excitement, in their joy, they said, we did this and we did this and we did this. And Jesus is like, that's great. Now we know what we need to work on. Like he's just going through this. I don't know. This is the Phil Woodman Bible that's in my head. So I don't know if this is really what's taking place. But Jesus listens. And they're in their excitement. They're like, let's, let's keep going. And he's just like, I'm not ruining this excitement. In this, Jesus also, uh, he celebrates victory. Going on to the next chapter, Jesus sends out the 72. So he sends out the 12. He's like, okay, here's a few things we need to work on. It sends out the 72, and they do similar things, and they're going out telling people. The 72 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he said that this is a great statement. Jesus says, I watched Satan fall from heaven today. Like this, like lightning. This was great. And he just encourages them, like, this was amazing. You guys are doing wonderful things. He's encouraging them as they go. And Jesus as a father doesn't just come and say, okay, go and do it. But he listens to our stories. He encourages us to continue on farther. He even, um, 
going farther, he also would comfort when we struggle. He comforts our failures. And there's times where I think of like the disciples were like, Jesus, we tried to do this, but the demons wouldn't come out. He's like, oh, these ones only come out by prayer and fasting. It's okay. Like, you'll, you'll get them next time. And then Jesus heals them. I think of Peter walking on water, and Jesus is like, come to me. And he's like, yes. And he does it, and he's like, I'm doing it, guys. This is great. And all of a sudden, like, what's happening? I'm getting wet. And it's starting to sink, and Jesus reaches out, and he comforts. He's like, it's okay. And there's so many times where Jesus came through as a comforter to those who were struggling in Scripture. He says, I, I've got you. I'm here. I'm here to walk with you. I'm here to go with you. All three of those aspects, the fact that Jesus listens, he celebrates, he comforts, those things help us to feel empowered. There's times where my parents can give me responsibility, but without these three things, I might not feel like I am truly empowered. I might not feel like I can truly go on. But Jesus did this for his disciples, and I love this picture where they are then, when Jesus dies, comes back from the dead, and goes back to heaven. We have these same 12 disciples who were a bunch of goofballs and knuckleheads throughout most of the, New Test- throughout most of the Gospels are the ones that changed the world. Well, the Holy Spirit changes the world through the disciples. But the disciples went without fear because they had been trained, discipled, disciplined, and empowered by God. Last one that I want to look at today. A loving father also forgives. Nobody except Jesus has ever been perfect, which is good news for me. Uh, I'm in a boat with everybody else here. Um, We all struggle which means that none of us have a perfect father. None of us are a perfect father. Um, We all make mistakes, but a loving father cares deeply about their children even when they make mistakes and turn away from their parents. I think one of the most moving stories that Jesus ever told uh, was the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son, and the picture of the father in this shows the heart of Christ. And I am amazed by this story as a son tells his father and basically says, dad, I wish you were dead. Can I have my inheritance now, which comes once you die? Because I don't want to live under your rules and under your house anymore. I'd rather make my own decisions, which is how I often live most of my life. You know what? God, I know you've got a plan. I got a better one. How about we do things my way instead? Like, we, we do this at times. Like, we regularly say, God, God, you might have a plan for my life, but what about this? So there's so many times where me, as a human, I'm a rebellious child, and I recognize this aspect of God, but this father gives the son his inheritance, who goes off and does whatever he wants. A series of poor life choices, a lack of maturity, and eventually hitting rock bottom leaves the son longing to go back home after months or maybe years or even a decade plus of doing his own thing. We don't know how long he was gone. This was a story that Jesus was telling, but Jesus is telling a story to give us a picture of his heart as a father, not to tell us about the facts and certainties of a boy. With no other option, he decides to head home, and this is what we see in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. 
where it says, so he got up and went to his father, but while he was still, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. How many days had the father gone out to look for his son? Like I think sometimes we think like, oh, this was like the one chance that he went to look to say, oh, is he out there? But a loving father, like I imagine him just every day, like there wasn't 10 minutes a day that went by that he didn't just look up to look off to the horizon to say, is he coming? I so want my son to come back because I'm not whole without him. Like I miss him. I'm not trying to say that God is not whole. God is complete and whole without us. God does not need us, but God longs for us and desires for us to come back. And the father sees his son. He's like, that's my son. He sees a shadow of a man and he runs to him. He doesn't care what people think. He doesn't care what people do, but he chases down his son. He tackles him to the ground. He hugs him and he says, welcome home. His son, who was smelly and stinky and a shell of his former self, was embraced by his father and said, you're back home finally. Jesus represented that he had the heart of a father and that he longs to have his children come home. And he welcomes so many. He welcomes anyone that wants to come and be his child. Jesus can't wait to welcome people home. In fact, his home is open to everyone who wants him to be his father. We just spent, we're still looking at the book of Romans and we spent time uh, looking at the fact that Jesus, that Paul writes that God adopts us as his children, that we are given full heirs, uh, like we are full heirs of God as his children, that we are welcomed into his family, adopted as his children and said, you are mine and everything that I have is yours. That's what God wants to do for us, that he forgives and welcomes us into his family. Our earthly fathers are far from perfect. Whether you have a great father or a terrible experience with the man who calls himself your dad, our earthly fathers will eventually grow old. They'll lose their strength and eventually their life. We had a picture of them that tends to live on in our minds, but Jesus is an eternal father who never changes, who never gives up, who never fades, and never turns his back. He's always loving, he's always waiting, and always ready to welcome you home. Jesus leaves the invitation for us to come, to be a part of his family. Because Jesus is the eternal father, um, we are given that offer to join his family. And this is the same father who last week we looked at as the mighty king, the mighty God, the mighty warrior who fights to protect us. Like, this is the father that I can have, the strong, mighty warrior who doesn't let me down. And so I don't know if you have a relationship with God or not. If you don't have a good father, if you've not seen Jesus as a loving father, he says, come, I want you to be part of my family. That invitation is always open to say, God, I want to be yours. If you don't know what that means, I would love for you to turn and ask somebody, like, what is this, who is this Jesus that you talk about? What does it mean that he comes as a loving father and would accept anyone into their family? If you do call yourself a child of God, are we obedient to the father? Are we living the life that he has called us to do? Are we obeying his, uh, are, we, are we willing to obey uh, 
let me look at my notes because I'm lost right now. <laughs> um, are we willing to obey the Father who disciples and disciplines us? Are we living in that full obedience? Do we feel inadequate when God empowers us to live as sent ones on mission with him and say, I'm not good enough. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And Jesus says, but go and I'll be with you. Trust the training that I gave you. Tell the story that you, of what you know about me. Do we feel inadequate at times uh, because of our faults and failures, because our Father has already forgiven us and says, I welcome you home regardless of what you've done. We're called to go and live to honor and please our Father. Isaiah was promising a child that would be born who would be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. No wonder we celebrate and worship the birth of that child every year. This is who he is, and this is how we're called to follow. Let's pray. God, you are good. I thank you for your love and care for us. I thank you that you disciple and discipline us. I thank you that you empower us to go. I thank you that you challenge us, that you listen to us, you hear us, that you know us, you celebrate our victories, you comfort us in defeat. God, I thank you so much um, that you have forgiven me. That you wait with open arms to call for me to come home. And you wait that calling for any person who wants it. God, may we live as children of God. May we celebrate that. And may we find that you are a father who loves deeply and cares for us greatly. And may we worship you and serve you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.